thank you, God, that you're with us continually. Whatever we're going through, whatever the circumstances of our lives, we thank you that you are with us. Now, Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you will speak to us and have your way in our hearts, we pray, that your word may bring about miraculous change in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, team. Just beautiful this morning. And well done to all of you watching this morning for navigating the challenges that we're all going through right now. And uh, I'm regularly burdened by the sense of loneliness that many people will be experiencing, those who are living on their own, those who are facing ill health at this time. And uh, well done. Be kind to yourselves. Parents with kids being taught at home, be kind to yourself right now. Um, don't be too hard on yourselves. And I pray that you will know that song that the team just led us in to be an anthem of your life, that it is well with my soul. Today, we begin a new four-part series looking at the book of Proverbs. Just earlier this week, we began looking a chapter a day at the 31 chapters in the book, book of Proverbs. And so quite a lot of people are taking every day to read one chapter and then to reflect on it through our version reading plan or other people will be doing that on their own outside of the version reading plan as well. And I did something unusual this week. I asked all of those who were doing the version reading plan to vote on which topic they would like me to pull out of the first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs. And the theme that came out is what I'm going to be speaking on this morning. I don't know if you've got a watch on your, on your wrist or a clock in your room, but I'm sure there have been many times when something's come out of here and you thought, I wish I could just put the clock back a little bit. Or maybe even worse than words you said were decisions that you made that have resulted in situations and circumstances that have filled your life with regret. There are so many times we would love to just be able to dial that clock back and have a second opportunity to have a go at those things, those decisions, and to make them differently on this occasion. Well, the book of Proverbs is a book that doesn't allow us to turn the clock back, although we're glad of the mercy of God, which deals with all our past failures and mistakes in light of eternity, that God remembers our sins no more, and he forgives, and he's full of grace, as well as being full of truth. And we're so glad that he doesn't hold our sins against us any longer. In fact, they're not remembered. But often there are implications in this world for the decisions that we've made. And the book of Proverbs has a purpose and a design, and that is that your life and my life will be fruitful and successful and will do well. And Proverbs, knowing that we can't turn the clock back and have a second go at many of the decisions we make, it wants to enable us to know wisdom, to be able to be able to make the right decisions and the right choices in this world, that things may go well with us in everything that we do. You know, they reckon that we make approximately 35,000 decisions every single day. That's a lot of decisions. Of course, some of them are trivia and have very little seeming consequence. 
Should I have muesli or granola for breakfast? Who cares? It's up to you. And you might think, oh, I wish I chose the granola. It's a bit sweeter. But it doesn't really make a big implication. You're not going to want to switch the clock back for those sort of decisions. And they will frame part of the 35,000 decisions. But there are many decisions that we make that are far more significant. And I'm not going to address, and the book of Proverbs, in fact, doesn't address every single variable of the 35,000 decisions that we may make in the average day. But it calls us to know someone present with us that will enable us to be wise. Recently, I picked up an old hobby. It was a hobby I was never good at in the first place, uh, which really frustrates me because I, I, I enjoy strategic things. But I re-picked up chess. I used to play on a board, but now I play on, a, on an iPad. And um, so I've got computers I can play against that I can learn from. Um, it's a little bit different playing against somebody who obviously seems to know what they're doing. Uh, the last time I used to play this was against one of my six-year-old sons, and they beat me. Um, and they were very annoyed at me because they thought I'd let them win, and I hadn't, and I couldn't persuade them otherwise. Uh, but I'm enjoying picking up this old hobby, this classic battle game of chess. It's a game that has a simple premise, and that is to win. Those, I'm not going to explain chess to you today, but you have to take captive, make sure that the king is unable to move anywhere, and you take the king and you win. You get the game into a position called checkmate. It's a really simple premise, just win. But the process of getting to that premise is quite complex. There are all sorts of variables. There are all sorts of decisions you can make. And the decisions you make depend upon the decisions the opponent makes. And you've got different characters on the board who all have different boundaries and different abilities and different ways that they can respond at different times. It's a great game, but it's quite complicated. There, in our life, there are some things that Proverbs talks about that has the simplicity of the premise of chess. The simplicity is this, that you in your life will win, that you will live fruitful, that things may go well with you, that you will not live a life of regret, you will not live a life of sleepless nights because you are facing the regrets of wishing you could turn the clock back. Proverbs wants you to win. It wants you to succeed. It wants you to be fruitful. And just like the game of chess, the premise is pretty straightforward about winning, but the process is quite complex. The process of navigating these 35,000 choices every day do make it quite complicated. Winning in life is possible. Every move we make, though, has consequences. Maybe when you're facing um, a decision in your life, you may pray to God and say, God, you know the choice I have? two jobs on offer. There's multiple places I can live. Should I put an offer in for that house? Should I buy that car? Should I respond to that dilemma that I'm facing in this way? It may be that you want to do something like I've discovered I can do when I'm playing chess on the tablet. And that is I can request a hint 
It's a brilliant function. It obviously doesn't happen in a competitive game, but if you're practicing, I can choose a hint, and it's brilliant. It sort of highlights just a little clue as to the best move that I can make on the board. Uh, there are times I meet lots of people following Jesus that would love a function like that. Give me a hint, God. In fact, asking for God's will and best direction in our life is one of the most requested prayers. We'd all like a hint. And Proverbs promises wisdom for all decisions, but not in a dial-a-hint sort of way. Proverbs is not the deliverer of wisdom. These uh, times of lockdown, I understand the takeaways have done brilliant, the food takeaway centers. You can go to their menus online and you can choose what you'd like to have and you can select it and they will deliver it to your door. Proverbs is not like the delivery of wisdom. We can't pick and choose the bits that apply to us or the things we prefer or the things that we like. There's something holistic about this book. It doesn't just act as a menu of how you should respond in a given situation. How could it contain the answers to 35,000 dilemmas just in one day? How could it do that? And I find that there is a, a propensity within us that if it was like that, that there would be some things we would pick and choose and others we would leave out. I've noticed over the years that if I go to a fairly basic restaurant, I could probably be a bit fussier with the order than if I go to a really nice high-end restaurant, of which I've not done very often in my life. So you go to just one of these chain places and, they, and you order a burger and you say, but I don't want the tomato, I don't want the coleslaw, I don't want the mushrooms, I certainly don't want the mushrooms, just leave them out and give to me what I'm asking for. But if you go to a Michelin star restaurant and they've prepared and crafted a meal, don't say to them, listen, I'd like you to leave out three elements that I don't want in my food. Because you respect that they know the menu of what they create, the combination of the ingredients they have crafted, and they know better than you do. Sometimes we just have to trust the, the chef rather than always our taste palate. And the 35,000 decisions that you and I might make today, Proverbs doesn't just give us the ability to have some words that speak into some of them but Proverbs introduces us to a person. It's a person that Proverbs, as we look at it in a moment, says that our relationship to this person is what opens the gateway to wisdom. It isn't selecting from a menu. It's embracing, through relationship, the person of Christ. Proverbs reveals that embracing this person, the person of Jesus, brings wisdom into our lives and rejecting the person of Jesus and all that he wants to bring and all that he wants to say, it brings foolishness. The, the premise is really straightforward. It's wisdom or foolishness. It's one side of the board or the other. There's nothing in between. 
It's not like I'm going to be partly wise and partly foolish. You're either a fool or you're wise. And Proverbs just makes that stark line really clear. You can't sit on the fence with it. You can't just be ambiguous and say, I'm just going to hang out in the middle here. You're either one or the other. Wise or foolish. The stakes are really high of being foolish. And the joy is really wonderful of being wise. So, how do we get wisdom? Let's look at a few verses in Proverbs chapter 1. Verses 32 and 33 says this. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. Proverbs is a really inclusive book. When you read it, it often talks about those who are foolish, those who have evil intent, and those who are wise. And it makes that contrast really plain. But it doesn't exclude anybody from being able to be wise. This is a book that is addressed to all ages, all cultures, all backgrounds. And it relies on us making a decision as to which we want to be. In fact, Proverbs is not hiding. So wisdom is not hiding. It's not tucked away in a corner as a secret for those people who have a rumor that they hear about wisdom to go and find it. Proverbs 1.20 says this, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. Wisdom is trying to get our attention and to appeal to us. God wants us to be wise. And this is the key verse that we're going to look at just for the next couple of minutes. Proverbs 1 verse 7. It says this. This is the access way. This is the entrance to wisdom in our lives. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. It's the foundation. Jesus told that story, didn't he, of the wise and the foolish builders. Again, that simple premise. We're either one or the other. There wasn't a halfway home. Wise or foolish. And interestingly, that story was all about foundations. And the foundations, or the beginning of wisdom, it says, is found by the fear of the Lord. Now, what a strange choice of a word to use, the fear of the Lord. Because doesn't the Bible teach us that perfect love, of which God is perfect love, that he casts out fear doesn't the scripture talk about God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind? So why is it now saying that fear of the Lord is the access point or the foundation of wisdom in our lives? Well, the reference to fear here is not the sort of fear where you 
put your head under the pillow or under the blanket because you hear a rumor that there might be a spider crawling across your ceiling. Or it's not the same fear as you have as you climb up on a high point and you look down and think, I may fall, and your legs begin to go like jelly underneath you. It's not that sort of fear. This sort of fear could be described as awe. It's an awareness that, the, that there is someone around you, there is someone within you, there is someone beside you that is awesome. Or, or reverence, honor, and respect. When I used to work at our Bible college, I discovered that even though there were certain ways that were the standard policies of how, a, how papers should be written and submitted by the students, that every lecturer had their own idiosyncrasies of the things they preferred. It seemed like the first year of the student's experience was learning what each of the individual lecturers preferred. And it was very confusing for them at times. They, they learned how footnotes were to be kept in different ways. They learned the sort of argumentation that one lecturer would prefer over another. And they learned, out of respect, because they were trying to pass a paper, that they needed to deference towards the preference of the lecturer. Now, those lecturers were fallible. I'm sure I never saw them ever make a mistake, but I'm sure they were fallible. I'm sure that their preferences weren't designed in the, the wonder of God's perfection. And of course, the students were trying to pass something. But the principle of in awe or in respect or in honor of somebody that you learn what they like. And therefore, what comes out of you is respectful of that. The fear of the Lord, the awe of God, the honor, the reverence, the respect of God is the foundation of wisdom. Jesus doesn't have preferences because of some idiosyncrasies in his life. Jesus has preferences because he is the perfect standard of truth. In him, there is no error. In him, there is no sin. In him, there is no shadow. In him, there is no darkness. He is the perfection. He is the benchmark, the ultimate benchmark. And so, as we invite God into our lives through the Spirit, as we respect and understand and live in awe of Jesus... It means that we want to please him and his ways. He's not marking us. He's setting us up to win. And everything he has given us and blessed us with, we are called to steward for his glory. Living in awe and fear of the Lord is respecting that he is with us in the room and wanting to make a decision that will please him. 
Proverbs doesn't cover the 35,000 decisions you make, but it does say that in your life, the person of wisdom, Jesus, is present. And if we make those decisions and ignore him, then foolishness. And there are consequences we read about in Proverbs. It reminds us of stark consequences when we act in foolishness, not in wisdom. But when we honor and respect the one who is ever-present, then we make decisions, choices, based on his preferences, not ours. The fear of the Lord is bowing the knee of our heart. It's having humility. That's a challenging word, humility. Because there are times when it's easy to humbly acknowledge that God knows best. Until, of course, what he says disagrees with one of our preferences. Or it disagrees with something that we feel we would like to do. And so we go back to deliver a wisdom again. And we pick and choose. But that's not the fear of the Lord. That's our own independence and our own desire to make things work ourselves. But the fear of the Lord bows the knee in every area of our life. It has humility and it says, God, I trust your expertise. Humility doesn't debate his competencies. Humility doesn't debate his truth. Humility doesn't compromise his ways. Humility doesn't check in and check out of his voice. Humility surrenders. Humility recognizes who is in the room. It doesn't think less about us. It thinks more about him. You know, over the years, I've had many heroes in my life, and some I've met, some I've read, some I've watched from a distance. And um, there have been some moments when that has been quite a stark reality. I remember a few occasions when some of my heroes in ministry when I had an opportunity to speak at events or speak in congregations, and I look out and I see one of my heroes is sitting in the congregation, sitting in the audience. And at that moment, it's really difficult not to think, what are they thinking about this? This is probably all my insecurity coming up right now. But it's really difficult to think, to avoid thinking, oh, did I say that correct? Is my theology right? Am I presenting that in a way that they would appreciate? It's really difficult when you know someone is in the room to not think about what do they think. Proverbs says that Jesus, the all-wise one, is present. And whatever we do, whatever, he say, whatever we say, he is with us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are calling us to live lives of wisdom. 
and we pray that we will be aware in every one of the 35,000 decisions we make each day, we will be aware that you are in the room with us, that you are present. And in everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, may we not be among the fools who forget you and deny your existence. May we not be among the fools who think that we can do it better ourselves. But may we be among the wise that surrender and bow the knees of our heart and say, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, may we be wise because we are lovers and worshipers, reverently bowing the knee in the presence of the almighty King of glory. Father, I pray this week that we would be wise sons and daughters in Jesus' name.